Hey everybody, welcome to Home at Last in Mass, the podcast in which we educate, energize, and empower first-time homebuyers in Massachusetts. Brought to you by Mass Housing, the leader in affordable housing financing in Massachusetts. I'm your host, Eric Gedstad, Director of Marketing for Mass Housing. We have a terrific episode today with a very special guest who is one of our top lenders and who has helped hundreds of first-time homebuyers. Hey, just a quick reminder what we are all about here on Home at Last in Mass. We are striving to educate, energize, and empower the first-time homebuyer and take some of the mystery out of the home buying process. Before we get into my interview with our guest, a quick refresher on who we are. We are Mass Housing, which is short for the Massachusetts Housing Finance Agency. We're known to many as the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Affordable Housing Bank. We are a government entity, and we lend to qualified homebuyers who meet our income, credit, and other criteria. We don't use taxpayer dollars, but we do have a public mission to try to make housing more affordable. You can always find us online at masshousing.com. And don't be thrown off by the .com, okay? Some people think that if you're a public agency, you always have to have a .gov address, but that is not always the case. A reminder that you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at masshousing. Okay, now on to the substance of this episode. Today, we are going to hear directly from someone who has worked with hundreds of homebuyers, someone who has specifically helped them to apply for and obtain a mass housing loan. It's good stuff. We make our loans available through loan officers at mortgage companies and banks across Massachusetts. These lenders help homebuyers figure out what they can afford, what they are eligible for, and help guide them through the application and loan closing process. So in this episode, you're going to hear firsthand about what a lender can do for you, what is involved in applying for a loan to buy a home, and why you should ask your lender if a mass housing loan is a good fit for you. Without further delay, here is my interview with Elise Baer from RMS, one of the top providers of mass housing loans. Okay, everybody, I am really fortunate to be here with Elise Baer of RMS Mortgage. She is the number one mass housing lender. And Elise, great to have you on the podcast. Really looking forward to this conversation. Can you tell us how long you have been a loan officer? But actually, before we do that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your history in the uh, mortgage lending industry? And we'll just start it with that. Good morning, Eric, and thank you for having me. I have a background in the financial field and the banking field for the last 30 plus years, dating myself there. And more specifically, since 2004, in the, as a loan officer, I've been with residential mortgage services for the last eight years, and I have enjoyed um, being a loan officer and working on just the mortgage side of the business. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, the reason we were really excited to have you on the program is you work so regularly with first-time home buyers. That is, of course, the audience uh, for this podcast. This is a really great opportunity for them to hear directly from a lender. A lot of people who are listening to this probably have never sat down with a mortgage lender. Hopefully they will soon. Hopefully they'll be a mass housing approved lender, but they don't really know what to expect. It can be intimidating. You know you're going in to borrow a lot of money. It feels very high stakes. What would you say to me if I were a home buyer, and this was the first time I was ever meeting a, a loan officer, what would you say to just kind of put me at ease and help me get started on the right foot? 
I love working with first-time home buyers because you can coach and counsel them from start to finish without them ha- having um, misconceptions of what what the industry offers. The um, first-time home buyers tend to be out looking at houses before they get pre-approved, and really, people should speak with a mortgage loan officer before going out to look at houses because you'll be out looking all day. If you don't have a sense of what you qualify for and what you what you can afford for a payment, you'll just be looking all day long. And I always use the terminology that you won't pull the trigger because you don't know what works for you. So I think it actually helps to relieve some of that stress because when people are out looking at houses and they they don't know if they should be looking at a 250, 300, 350 and they're not seeing things that they like, they can end up frustrated. But if you sit down with a mortgage loan officer and whether it's the mass housing program or another program, you can get guided as to what your credit score is and what you need for a down payment and what the proposed payment's going to be. And you can take some of that mystery and guess, guessing game out of it while you're out looking at properties that you are in your price range and that you can afford. That's great. That is that is super helpful. And and as you were saying that, for some reason, I found myself remembering when I go to buy a car and I walk into the dealership and before you know it, I'm sitting at a table and somebody's going to talk to their manager and you can feel that pressure. They're, they're trying to get you into a into a car, right? What do I got to get you in? How, what do I got to do to get you into this car today? If I'm a first time home buyer, I hear what you're saying about coming and talking to a lender before I start to look at houses, but I'm a little intimidated walking in the door of RMS or some other lender uh, because I'm a little worried that by the time I leave, you'll have talked me into something and maybe I'll borrow more than I should borrow. How would you allay those fears? One of the first questions that I always ask first time home buyers and actually anyone that I work with, I always ask them, what are you currently paying for rent and what can you afford for a payment? And some people aren't paying rent. You could be living home with family. But what are you comfortable with for a payment? Because I'm going to probably pre-approve you higher than you want the payment to be. So our most important task is to determine what you're comfortable with for a payment. Have you sat down with your finances and determined, let's just pretend you're paying $1,000 a month for rent. Are you comfortable if we're up at 1200 1300 How much higher can you go? If you've been paying that 1000 for rent, have you been putting two, $300 to $500 a month aside in savings so that they can start to wrap their head around where they're comfortable with their own payment? I can't pick the payment for them because everybody has their threshold. And it is interesting because sometimes I'll sit down with people that I feel that they qualify higher and they'll hold themselves back. And there are some people that... I'll tell them this is their maximum and they feel they can afford more and we have to work within it. But you have to, everybody has to be comfortable with what they're, what is comfortable for them. Some people have other obligations. You could have a car loan, you could have student loans, credit cards, you could have other things coming up in your future that you know about that I don't know about necessarily. So you have to decide what, they have to decide where they're comfortable. And, I ha- and it is my job to make them feel comfortable. And I can see where it can be intimidating. And that is why we do talk with people on the phone and we have them come in in person and we try to make them feel comfortable and make it as, as easy a process as possible to, you know, to alleviate some of those nerves that do come about with purchasing a home. Uh, that's really helpful. And it illustrates something that we've talked about occasionally on the podcast and that we advise people, which is you'll get a number of an amount that a lender will give you, but it may not be the amount that you're comfortable with. And there's that whole notion of trusting your gut. 
it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying. Do you think that's accurate? Yes, I think that people really do know what they can afford for the payment because they've been doing it or, again, setting it aside in a savings account or paying it out monthly already in rent. So they really do know where their numbers are. And if they don't, we can sit there and run some calculations too. And you have to you know, make sure people are aware of you know, this is your gross income, this is your net take home. And it depends what people are putting their money towards. And you can you say, you know, this is, you know, you, do you want half of your paycheck, monthly paycheck to cover the mortgage, a quarter percent? Where are you comfortable? What are your other bills? So you really have to, you know, fine tune the numbers. And that's what we do, what, no matter how long it takes. And sometimes we'll even find that people that think that they're ready might want to take two steps back and they'll be ready in six months or a year. And I always tell everybody, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm here when you're ready. It's not when I want to buy the house. It has to be when you want to buy the house and you're comfortable with the payment and you're ready to take it on but they can gauge it off of other expenses that they have so you really have to weigh out um, what works for them specifically they have to be comfortable with what they've been paying out or they expect to pay out if somebody's been putting you know two thousand dollars a month aside in a savings account no problem because they've been living home, they may still only want to take on a $1,500 mortgage payment so that they can continue to save $500 a month. But if they've been living home to save for the house or you know to buy something, then they realize that they may not save as much going forward, but that they're still putting it towards the equity into, into home ownership. How many people do you think you've helped with a mass housing loan specifically over the years? And then if you think somebody's ready to buy a home, where would you tell them to start? two-part question. You know, I started to think about that in terms of how many clients I've worked with over the years. You, you tend to lose track of which programs they end up in. So I looked back knowing that you were that we were meeting today and that we could talk about this. And I think my rough number for mass housing has been between five to 600 people have been placed in the mass housing loan over the time that I've been a mortgage loan officer, but that's over a 15-year period. And again, mass housing is is a great program and they've really geared they're really geared towards first-time home buyers especially now they've um, changed their program a little bit at the beginning of this month actually and are really geared towards first-time home buyers um, but sometimes there are other programs that people fall into based off of what we call a debt to income calculation or credit score and things like that but um, when we can get them into a great program that's a nice affordable payment that's the direction that they go so I've definitely worked with a lot of people that we've gone the direction of mass housing and they've stayed with the mass housing program second part of your question was I, I really do find that people hop on Zillow they hop on you know Redfin and Realtor.com and they start looking at the houses and they um, start looking at what the proposed payment is online and they do lose track of um, what they can afford it and it really we joke about it that everybody goes to the realtor first and we sit here and think that they should come to the lender first so that they know what they're comfortable with for the payment and that does lead into something else Eric that you and I talked about when everybody does think that they have to keep saving until they have about 20% down and this is what we're talking about with the mass housing program and even other mortgage programs that are out there you don't need 20% down it's a little bit of a misconception where everyone thinks that um, you have to save, save, save until you have that 20% down. There are programs that are out there with, you know, mass housing, 3% down, 3.5% down, 5% down, less money down. Now, anytime you do a little bit less money down, there is what's called private mortgage insurance. And again, that's where people lose track of the payment when they hop on a, a Redfin or a, a Realtor.com or a Zillow and they start running an estimated payment. 
they don't take into account that if they do do less money down a proposed payment, what that private mortgage insurance payment might be or what the options are for that and how credit score comes into play. So if you really want to get a true exact number, you would want to speak to a lender because a lender is going to look at the whole picture. We're going to price out the principal and interest, the private mortgage insurance, the proposed taxes, the proposed homeowner's insurance, and give you a very realistic total payment so that you're out looking in the right areas because, again, you can be, you know, going on weekends to open houses or you can be looking on the websites but you might not be looking in the right price range until a lender says here's what you qualify for and here's what's a comfortable payment um, that is fantastic that is such good advice and, and it it really turns I think the conventional wisdom and the way that people go about this process on its head a little bit it is it is so easy it's maybe a little too easy to find properties that are for sale use the websites Redfin Zillow etc um, which will spit out a monthly payment and just sort of start there. And then as a first-time buyer, you end up having to kind of backtrack because eventually you do get with a lender who kind of gives you a, a reality check. So I think the one of the big takeaways here, correct me if I'm wrong, is don't be afraid to start with a lender. Don't be afraid to walk into an RMS and say, I want to buy my first house. I don't know exactly where to start. Can you talk to me about how I can figure out how to afford it. I absolutely agree. Obviously, what I've been saying is um, that you should get pre-approved first and know what your numbers are, know where your credit is. And often when we do pull people's credit, sometimes they're not where they need to be to get the right program. So we can start counseling them and give them some guidance. You know, if you just can take a month or two and just pay down on this, this, or this and get your credit score up a little bit, you're going to get into a better program because all of these programs do have guidelines and restrictions. And if you want to get into the best program, you don't want to find the house first and then have to be pushed into your financing. Work on the financing first and then select the home that you want with the right mortgage program. This might sound like um, kind of an overly simplistic question, but I'm trying to uh, keep myself in the role of the first-time home buyer. If I come into RMS and kind of, you know, I'm a little nervous, I'm a little sheepish, I, I want your help in figuring this out, am I obligated to work with you in the future? Am I going to sign some sort of agreement? Do you charge me some kind of initial fee to give me this kind of advice? I think that might be a legitimate concern for some people. That is a great question, and I... I because I know that we don't charge anything, I didn't even think of it. You should not be intimidated and you do not have to work with the first person that you sit down with because it is a connection and a relationship. You might find a home that you love in the first 30 days and it, or it might be a six-month process to a year process. You're going to be working with this person for a while. You're going to be working with your realtor for a while until you find the right home. So it has to be a relationship, a connection that you feel comfortable with. Anybody who walks into an RMS office, of course, our hope is that you'll continue to work with us once we've sat down and provided you guidance of what you need to do, but you are not obligated to. There are no fees. We do not charge for pre-approvals. We're here to assist people getting into their first home, um, and we'd love to work with everybody. But if the connection is not there, if we're not the right person, then obviously you have the right to select somebody else. But you have to get started somewhere. If you can relate it, you know, you don't always pick, stay with the first doctor that you sit down with. You might just not feel that connection. It doesn't mean that they're not a good doctor. It doesn't mean that the person's not a good mortgage person. If the connection's not there, you need to feel comfortable because it is one of the biggest purchases. It is the biggest purchase of your life, more than a car. And it's an investment. And you have to feel that you've selected the right program, that you're working with the right people people to get you into the right home. Great. That is super helpful. In your conversation and comments about going on websites, it made me think of another phenomenon, which is, okay, I've looked at some properties. I see the monthly payment. 
oh, I'll Google best mortgage rates. And with a click of a button, you will get a page or a site that has, you know, 50 or 100 lenders. And there's some really tantalizing uh, low rates there. And today it's, you know, click a button, get a mortgage. Uh, it seems so easy. Why should I not find the lowest rate and just go with them? Because it seems like that's what everybody's doing. It is um, just like anything that's on the internet. Obviously, marketing comes into play. Of course, they're going to put the lowest interest rate out there until you call them. And you know maybe that was based on 20% down or it might not be the right thing for you. One of the really interesting things along those lines and because we're talking mass housing, is I actually feel that anybody in Massachusetts that clicks on an online site and is dealing with somebody out of state, they've already eliminated the mass housing program, which is the best first-time homebuyer program out there offering down payment assistance and guidance because a lender out of Ohio is not going to know or be licensed to do or delegated to do the mass housing program. So as soon as you click on these websites, you've eliminated a lot of the local programs that could be available to you that that lender is not going to even suggest not to be mean, but because they just don't even know about it. So just like any marketing or advertising, anything that pops up on the internet is always going to be there, you know, until you dig deep and see like, you know, maybe they're promoting their lowest interest rate, but you don't know that they're charging you two points to get it. And you want someone that you can sit down with in person or face to face, and you can go over the numbers and review everything together. When people come to your office and sit at this table and are looking for your advice on a loan, and you start to feel that a mass housing product is the best for them, how do you explain it? And I don't want this to be a commercial, and I do want to remind listeners that mass housing is a public entity, so this really isn't just a you know an infomercial for a product where we're going to make a bunch of money. But I'm sure a lot of people don't know what mass housing is. They're like, well, you work for RMS. Aren't you going to give me an RMS loan? Uh, why are you introducing this entity called mass housing? What do you tell them about who we are and why our product is a good fit for them? First, just to clarify with RMS, RMS is a correspondent lender. We're not a direct lender in the sense that the loan isn't going through us. So I'm fortunate enough to be at a company like RMS where we are delegated to offer many loan programs, mass housing being one of them. So we can look at all options. You know, Just on a side note, we do VA loans and other types of government loans and things that are out there. The reason we try to um, guide people and, and offer the wonderful mass housing program is because it is what's called conventional financing, and it offers really competitive programs and interest rates and a lower PMI like we talked about. And right now, they're offering down payment assistance. So just to talk about the program that just came out the beginning of September, they're offering 5% towards your down payment that you pay back at a 2% interest rate over 15 years. In, co in combination with the first mortgage that's out there. In comparison to some other loan programs, their PMI is about half of some of the other programs that are out there. It makes for a really attractive, affordable payment without even using up all of your own funds. So even if someone's been saving and they have, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand to work with, if you can go with the mass housing program and keep your money in the bank or maybe use your money to pay off some other debt or use your own funds to remodel the home or do all the things that you want to do, what could be better than moving into a home and having not wiped out your savings? And that's what mass housing is looking to do is putting first time home buyers in a home and keeping it affordable and keeping it that a comfortable payment and again, not using every bit of funds that you have in your own bank account. So if you have been saving, you can um, take advantage of what they have without, you know, using every penny of your own funds. Elise, next question. To buy even a fairly modest home 
in your area today, and I should say we're down in North Dartmouth, which is in the Fall River, New Bedford area, what should somebody expect to have for an income, credit score, and a down payment to buy kind of the average priced home or condominium in this area today? It really does vary, obviously, based off of you know location, like you're saying, because obviously it's different if people are up in the Boston area and the homes are a little bit more expensive. Um, in this area, which we would call basically the South Coast, and you could head a little bit more towards, you know, the... Um, towards the Cape and they can get a little bit more expensive that way. But it really is hard to qualify somebody when their income is, you know, $25,000 a year. It's just when we go to calculate like debt to income ratios, it's a little bit tougher. When you, um, if you're working off of an income of say like 50 to 60,000 a year, then there are homes that are affordable because the average home in this area, you could start out with a decent home, say like 250 to 275 to 300, that type of income is going to work. It also does depend what people have for other debt. If they're carrying a lot of student loans and car payments and things like that, it's going to be a little bit tougher. And if you're looking more towards, let's just say the 350 to 400 range, it's a little bit better if the income is towards the 70 to 80,000 range and we can make the numbers work. So it's not like every person has to be making $150,000 a year to purchase a home. There, It's very affordable to get into something and very easy to get into something with an income that's a little bit lower in this area and in, in this price range. And if they have 3% of the purchase price, 5% of the purchase price, that would work. But again, we're mentioning that mass housing is offering down payment assistance in this area. Anyone whose income is 103, roughly and under, can get the down payment assistance program from mass housing. And there's, I'm not sure if you're even familiar that New Bedford is called the gate, New Bedford and Fall River are gateway cities. So the income's a little bit higher at the 114. And um, they are eligible to use the first-time homebuyer program and get the down payment assistance. So in terms of having the down payment money, you certainly have to have some money. One interesting thing that's actually been coming up with the mass housing program, when people are purchasing a home, they do have to give an initial deposit. And that's saying to the seller, hey, you know, I'm invested in this home. I'm not going to go out and look for something else. I'm going to put a deposit on your property. Can you take it off the market while I go get my financing? Now, people have to keep in mind that the funds from mass housing are offered at the close table, you're going to get the 5% that they're offering then. So you do need some money to work with. You're going to hire a home inspector, which the average home inspection is about $500. You might want to do a water test or a radon test or some other home inspection things. So you do need some money to work with to purchase a home. You have to give that initial deposit. You have your home inspections. There are, there are some upfront costs that you'll take on before you can get any of the down payment assistance that's being offered. So you really should have saved some money and have some things to work with. But if somebody has 5 to 10% of a purchase price of their own funds, that's a great way to go too. Obviously, the more money somebody can put down, the higher priced home they can afford because now it's going to make the payment lower. But you can still use your funds partnered with Mass Housing's funds to make it all come together too. If somebody has saved 5 to 10% of their own money and they still want to utilize Mass Housing's 5% money, they can partner that and put even more money down and make the home even more affordable. Great. Really good advice. Uh, a couple of questions come to mind. Uh, one is around income and another is around credit. Let's take income first. My question is a lot of people hear about that we have income limits and I think one of the first things they think is, is that for the entire household or is that for an individual? Can you walk us through how income limits work? Yes. With mass housing, it's whoever is on the loan is the income that we use. So if it is a husband and wife that want to both be on, want to, both be on the loan, it would be their combined income that we would use 
and that happens to be their household income, um, but we go off of both of them. But if one party wants to qualify on their own and we and they're the only ones that go on the loan, they're the, they are the only one that goes on the loan, we would use that income. So mass housing, actually, it's an interesting question because mass housing used to be household income and it didn't matter who was on the loan. That's how long I've been doing mass housing. They did change that. I don't know what year it was, maybe four or five years ago, that only the person that goes on the loan is the income that we use. So for example, if you have two people that are at $200,000 a year, each one's making 100000 and you choose to do the loan under one person, you could still utilize the mass housing program because it's only the person that goes on the loan. And that raises some other questions, and it may be outside the scope of our discussion and what you would tell a buyer, but what is the advantage or disadvantage of having only one person on the loan? Say I'm married, I come in with my wife, together we would be over the income limit and we couldn't get a mass housing loan, but one of us, if we were the only one on the loan, we would be eligible. All of a sudden we're going to look at each other and maybe you as the loan officer and say, hmm, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Does that put one of us in some sort of jeopardy how do you answer that question? That is, um, that does come up a lot because you know not everybody wants to do it that way, and it does depend on if they want to take advantage of the loan program. Honestly, a little bit of the negative is that both people would not be on the deed to the property. It only goes on the person who does the loan. They are the person that's on the deed. But again, if people are husband and wife, obviously they can, you know, contractually, they um, the property is theirs anyway. So it just depends what they choose to do. So I have found that some people refuse to do it that way because they both want to be on the deed. And some people, they're like, they have no problem with it. So it's just their comfort level. But we definitely explain that up front, that only the person that goes on the loan is the person who's on the deed to the property. Great. Super helpful. I feel like we're getting into some really good uh, nitty gritty questions that are really, really useful for our listener. What do you think is the biggest challenge for home buyers right now? Is it supply? There's not enough. Is it the prices? Is it the down payment requirements? Uh, you see a lot of people who want to buy a house. Obviously, not everybody can who walks in your door. What's the biggest stumbling block? In terms of the real estate market, I feel like the biggest stumbling block that they are running into right now is supply. Um, the nice houses that are out there are going very quickly, so they turn into a little bit of bidding wars. I've I hear a lot and I see a lot because I go to open houses with my realtors that when you have this nice home that somebody else has fixed up or a home that somebody has taken great care of and it's priced right, all of a sudden they'll do the open house and you'll have 25 different sets of people and the realtor will get five to seven to 12 offers and you end up putting in offers with a lot of other people. Of course, they can only select one. It's only one house. I had one realtor say to me, I had 15 offers. 15 offers, I upset 14 other people. They feel badly, but it's just one house and you have to kind of go with that. What we are also seeing is that the ones that need a little bit more work, not everybody's as interested in those because you either have to get some type of rehab loan, which Mass Housing offers. We have the Mass Housing Rehab Program. We are delegated to do that program. It does need some, and you can get down payment assistance for that too. If it needs some work, they're a little bit turned off by it or it's not something that they want to take on. Like a rehab project is not for everybody. It has to be for the right person. So in terms of the market, we are still seeing a little bit of those bidding wars and not a lot of inventory. It definitely has picked up over time though because people are buying houses. There was a point in time about a year and a half ago where there was 
even less inventory than there is now, but we are seeing and hearing. I was actually just on the phone with a realtor this morning in the Fall River area, and he was telling me that usually at any given time, there are about 25 condos on the market at all times in Fall River, and he said there are only 11 right now. It's really dipping, dropping down. So if anyone's looking for a condo, that's going to limit the market. The other challenge, if you take the real estate part of it out of out of the equation that you were talking about, what are the other challenges that people have when they do come in and we're pulling their credit? There are a lot of people, especially first-time home buyers, a lot of them have gone on for secondary education and they have taken on some high student loan debt. And they are, we do have to debt them for the student loans in one way or another, depending on how they are paying back or if they're in deferment. And some of that student loan debt is making, is cutting into what their buying power would be on a home or their car payment or things like that. So that is a challenge for people in terms of what they can actually qualify for. So when we're seeing um, that, we try to you know guide them and maybe we could even use some of the mass housing program to help them consolidate some things of the, with their own funds and then get the down payment. You know, they've been saving, saving, saving. They might have $15,000. We could pay off a student loan debt, get rid of some of the debt that they have and use the down payment assistance from mass housing. And credit score is a big, big part of the equation too. I actually jokingly always say if I could go into all the high schools when kids are juniors and seniors and counsel them on not taking on debt that they cannot afford, that that would be a real win. Because when people start out negative on the credit, it's hard to rebound and come back. So the programs that we're talking about are pretty flexible on the credit score, but you still have to have a decent credit score to qualify to purchase a home. We often get asked the question, oh, I have the income, but my credit's really bad, but my spouse has the you know, the income, can we, you can't combine it. If your credit score is in, you know, down below a certain range, I don't want to throw numbers out there because it's different for every loan program, but you really have to credit qualify. You have to have the income to qualify and you have to have the credit score to qualify. So paying bills on time is a really important factor. And sometimes what people run into issues with is just when they're renting an apartment, if they don't pay the utility bill on time. Now, utility bills don't report to the credit bureau on a normal basis until you go into default on them. Then they're going to report a charge off. Cell phones are the same thing. If you've decided you want to switch your cell phone provider and you stop paying on one company or you break a contract, they weren't reporting to the credit bureau that you were paying favorably every month all along because they don't report to the credit bureaus. But if you go into default on them and there's a charge off, they're going to report it to the credit bureau. And that's not really the best way to start out your credit rating. You need to start the credit rating out with you know positive things. And that's why going back to the beginning when we were talking about people coming in and speaking with a lender first, that's why if we can pull your credit and check these things for you before you're out house hunting and getting disappointed, you know, that you found something that you love, but we pulled your credit and it's below the threshold that needs to be. Let's work on the credit first, see what the issues are, settle up on any of those collection accounts, gain some positive credit, and then you can be out buying a home. Great advice. Credit is so important. And I think it's mis- it's mystical in a way to some people. Who are these companies that are Uh, keeping track of my credit and generating some sort of a score. But yes, to reiterate, uh, a credit score is important. Is there is there kind of a cutoff for a credit score? Like if your credit score is below this number, you really should not even be considering buying a house at this time. Yes, there are numbers we can throw out there. If you're below a 580, you need to work on that until you're going to be able to get any type of loan program. And even at the 580, do this, we call it to everything goes in 20 point increments, but let's just say 580 up to a 619. 
you're not going to get the best interest rate in program that's out there. 620 is kind of like your next cutoff, you know, 620 to a 639. It does work in like, you know, different ranges for different programs. You really want to be above a 640, 680 puts you more into the conventional world. If you're below the 680, you're going to fall into some of the other programs that are out there that might not be as competitive. You're going to pay a higher PMI, possibly a higher interest rate. So those are kind of the ranges. But if you're, so you've got like that 580 to 680 window, you're below that 580, you would need to work on the credit substantially to get the score up. And people think that once their credit is so negative that they're, they're done, and they stop using any type of credit and that becomes an issue too. I always use the terminology, you, you sort of flatline. So as soon as you've had some credit issues from the past and you say, I'm not going to ever get credit again, you have no opportunity to rebuild because people have to remember that the credit bureau and the credit scoring is a model and it can't score you on what it can't see. So as hard as, as it is sometimes, sometimes you do have to open up a secured credit card or a credit card or something to use it and pay it and use it and pay it and demonstrate that you can pay things on time to get the score improved. So when people shy away from credit, that can be an issue as well on the, on the reverse side. And sometimes people do it just because they like to use cash and they don't use credit. Or sometimes it's because if they've had issues in the past and they learned from their mistakes and they just say, I'm going to stay away from credit, but now they need the opportunity to rebuild and they don't know it until we pull the credit and we can see that and kind of guide them. You know, we're not totally credit counselors, but we just see enough of it and we pull enough credit reports that we can give guidance as what as to what they need to do to get the score to improve. That is so interesting. And also to something else that's counterintuitive about the process, right? Uh, very easy to get burned by credit card debt early on. And you would think, gosh, I've seen the error of my ways. I'm going to go off credit completely and go to cash. And, and down the road, you want to be rewarded for that. And you think you're doing the right thing. But all of a sudden, the credit companies don't have anything to score you on. Really, really interesting stuff. And again, pulling the curtain back on the on the process a little bit here, which I think is super useful. Two more quick questions, and I'll just open it up to you. What documents should a home buyer have ready when they're getting ready to apply for a loan? It is so interesting because we'll get emails or phone calls, and they'll say, what do you need from me? And I'll, I'll get it, and I'll call you back. And I you always say, to start the application process, you have it all in your head. You know what your name is. You know what your date of birth is. You know where you live. Um, you know what your job is. You should know what your income is, but sometimes people have to look back at their you know, pay stub or their W-2 to determine what it, what it is. So we really can take an application from people with them just providing us their, informa their information and get things started. As a follow-up, now your file has to, you know, we have to do a clean pre-approval and make sure that everything you provided us is correct. So the income is a big piece of it. We do ask for pay stubs, W-2s, and that way we can confirm the income is where it's supposed to be. And there, when it gets a little bit more detailed, so those are there's a difference between pre-approval and then the final underwriting. Once we go into underwriting, we're going to dig a little deeper and ask for bank statements and verify your deposits and things that have gone. But really, it's bank statements. It's your tax returns, W-2s, pay stubs, really paperwork that you actually have at your fingertips or even on the internet. Everyone can hop online these days and grab their bank statement as well. And that's how we'll you know get a loan in, in process and get things going once people are under agreement. But the funny part is, is everybody always thinks that they have to run and get their paperwork work first before we can get everything moving and we're like you know you really do know the answers to this and then people sometimes just need to look at that information too jumping back to our conversation earlier of what can they afford for a, a payment if we talk about what your income is and your pay stubs and you have all that information then we can get a better idea of where you are comfortable you know payment wise and once we put it all together. 
Great. My last question before I kind of turn it over to you for final thoughts is, is getting a mass housing loan any different than applying for any other loan? Are, are there extra steps? Does it take more time? Is there extra paperwork? The mass housing loan is the same as any other loan program that's out there. Um, it really is a conventional loan. So we, as lenders, divide our programs into behind the scenes. It's a, a little bit of um, the secondary market is Fannie Freddie. That is the mass housing program. They are a conventional loan program. They do also offer what's called an FHA program, which is a HUD-based program, and we offer that through Mass Housing as well, and we offer that as a regular FHA. And then, as I had mentioned earlier, there's VA, there's USDA, there's other programs. But every program that's out there, they're really all the same in terms of paperwork that we would need from the client. We, you know, whether it's the income, you know, your, as I mentioned before, your pay stubs, your W-2s, your bank statements, we're going to ask for the same paperwork for every loan program that we do. With mass housing, there is some extra paperwork on our end as the lender that we may have you sign when we do the disclosures, a few extra documents. But there is nothing extra that the client or the borrower needs to provide for us to make that loan happen. Now, some programs, and it's not just mass housing, do require a first-time homebuyer class. So mass housing allows that class to be taken online. There are classes offered in person. But the mass housing program is not the only program that requires a first-time homebuyer class. There are other mortgage programs out there that require that people take the first-time homebuyer class. And I have to always say, I always when I'm always telling people, you have to take a first-time homebuyer class, and I sort of feel guilty because now I'm giving them like a homework assignment of something extra that they need to do. And they always come back and they say, it was really interesting. We learned a lot of that first-time homebuyer class. We didn't even think of all the things that we had to take into account. And um, again, you're jumping into something you've never done before. You're go going to own a home. There's a lot of responsibilities. There's electricity bills to be paid and gas bills to be paid, and you have to know what to look for and, and different things to do. So a lot of people really like the first-time homebuyer class. That mass housing requires. So in terms of extras, that would probably be the only extra thing that you have to do for mass housing in terms of, you know, being the buyer, but it's not a negative and paperwork wise, you know, it's all the same as all the other loan programs that are available. Terrific. So glad you mentioned home buyer counseling. It's something we talk about all of the time. And I, I shouldn't even use the word counseling where we like to say education more. And we've heard time and time again from buyers that, gosh, it was really more interesting than I thought it was going to be. And I'm so glad I did it. So thank you for bringing that up. Anything else you want to add uh, that you want to say about RMS or mass housing or the first-time homebuyer process uh, that you want listeners to think about as they proceed on the road to home ownership? I guess it's just really a summary of what we've already been talking about. Um, I just really think that people should not be afraid to approach the mortgage companies, you know, whether it's RMS or whoever you choose to go with, the lenders, the banks that are out there, get all the guidance that you can. Again, I'm going to give like RMS a little bit of a plug because I feel that we offer everything. That's why I, I mess, mentioned my Baskin Robbins. As I sit here in my world, I love working in this environment. If I went back into the banking environment where I could only offer what the bank rate sheet had, I would feel stifled because I love when somebody comes in here. If they're a first-time home buyer that qualifies for the mass housing program, we're going to go that direction. We're going to go whichever direction works best for them. And people really need to know that all these programs are out there. And I can't stress enough. That's why if you're buying in Massachusetts, you want to deal with a Massachusetts lender that at least is going to mention the mass housing program so that you didn't miss out on an opportunity or a program that 
that's available. There are just um, so many great opportunities. And again, people tend to hop on these websites and talk to the realtors first, and that's okay too. But you really want to get in touch with a lender as quickly as you can so that you determine what you're pre-approved for, what you're comfortable with for a payment. You're not spending a lot of time getting possibly frustrated because you don't know what you can afford or you're not looking at the right homes in the right locations and things like that. It's almost it's easier to kind of work from the lending side first. Okay, folks, Elise Bear, RMS, which is short for Residential Mortgage Services. You'll see her name and other RMS loan officers on the masshousing.com website. You can go there and find all of the mass housing participating lenders, and there are many all across the state. Uh, Elise, it was so great to have you on the program. Just want to thank you very much for your time and uh, give you a chance to close out with any final thoughts. Eric, I thank you so much for having me. And I thank Mass Housing for um, offering the wonderful programs that they have over the many, many years that they've been offering them. For me, it's just been, uh, you know, the last 15 years that I've been become more and more aware of how valuable and what an asset they are to the state and how they are really gearing themselves to assist first-time home buyers and be available, and they just keep making the program stronger and stronger, and I'm just so honored and grateful that I'm able to offer this program to people when they contact us, and I can't even imagine what I would do without this program at this point because I've just gotten so used to being able to offer it when it fits the client's needs. Thank you so much for being with us. Okay, then. Time for some final inspiration and motivation before we end the episode. I don't need to add too much to that great discussion with one of our top lenders. You can hear the enthusiasm and the expertise when you listen to Elise Bear. I think she just instills confidence in you as she talks about the process of financing a home. So, go to MassHousing.com and look at our list of lenders and start communicating with them today. You know, one of the best things Elise said was to talk to a lender early in the process. Try to resist that urge to go out and look for the perfect home first. Better to spend the time learning what you can realistically afford and what you are comfortable paying every month. Doing the math, the homework, and the education up front takes discipline. It's not as fun as those open houses and imagining where you'll put the couch, but it's the right way to go about it. And in the end, you will enjoy the open houses more once you've analyzed the finances. Just a reminder, you can see a list of all of our approved lenders on masshousing.com. And all of them offer terrific, affordable mass housing mortgage loans. You can also subscribe to our Home Buying Tips email newsletter. And remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Mass Housing. Well, that's it for now. Good luck on the road to home ownership. It's not an easy road, but at the end, there's a welcome mat and a set of keys unlocking the door to your new home. See you next time on the Home at Last in Mass podcast. <laughs>